I'm Steve, and joining me, it's Adam Myros. Hello, Steve. Oh my gosh, Myros, late to the podcast recording today because uh, I, I think you, you just watched Betsy Brown's Actors for the fourth time. You can't get enough of Betsy Brown's Actors, is that right? Uh, now I have to pretend to know what that is. <laughs> you can't get enough of it. You, you, you keep saying, like, this, this is it. This is a film... That is both good and reflects my personal belief system. That's what you keep telling us. I mean, maybe, maybe I, I, I haven't seen it, so uh, I can't speak to its efficacy. You know, yeah, yeah, you haven't seen it for a fifth time yet, but you just you can't stop talking about how much you love it. And speaking about people who love Betsy Brown's actors. Uh, Jack Easton is here. Jack, how you doing? I swear to God, Steve, I'm on this podcast, and I already checked out. <laughs> <laughs> what, what uh, why is it why is this is the movie just called actors or yeah it's just called actors well why why was must we distinguish it as betsy brown's actors are there like six I, I mean, movies released this year that are actors or something because if i'm like adam Myros loves actors that it just sounds like you're just like into the craft oh, well yeah it, it sounds as incomprehensible <laughs> as what you in fact did say because i neither <laughs> one means anything to me <laughs> It's uh I mean I I haven't seen it either but uh I I don't I don't th I, you probably don't want to. Uh now Jack we have a special surprise for you today. Um I've I've invited Walter Chaw onto the podcast <laughs> to uh talk to you about your two-star review of everything everywhere all at once. Oh man, yeah, no there'll be a reckoning someday where we'll have to we'll have to go through that. Uh Man, that guy, he's, I mean, if you're not on Twitter, you don't know who this guy is, probably, and that's fine. Unless, I guess, you, you tuned in for Netflix's Voir, or whatever the hell that fucking show was, where they did, like... Voir? Yeah, they did, like, film essays. Was it V-O-I-R or something? I don't know what it's no, called. that's far less, that's far less interesting than Guar. Gu no, not Guar. Jesus, <laughs> no. I, did, I don't think, I don't think he'd have the, the, the stamina to hang with that crowd. But uh, yeah, he's having he's having a week. He's he's just taking shot shots at academia now after declaring everyone who doesn't like everything everywhere all at once is racist, just fundamentally. Yeah. So good for him. It's great keeping yeah. the keeping the conversation. It's weird because like the only thing I liked about everything everywhere all at once was like that first I don't know like twenty to thirty minutes where it just kind of feels like a like a domestic. Asian American family drama thing, right? Yep, I like that. And then as soon as it gets into the hot dog fingers and shit, it, I, I fucking check out, man. So uh, yeah, I, yeah, I you don't I, enjoy I, the rules explaining <laughs> phase of the film. Mm, yeah, I didn't didn't like that too much. This is one more film uh, that I have not seen, and I think I'm going to leave it at that. Because again, oh, it's I, back I, in theaters. You could go watch it now because it's yeah, going to win all the Oscars. It is, gentlemen. We are far and, too uh, old to be embracing like the Michelle Gondry school of filmmaking. It's it's a young man's <laughs> game. <laughs> no, that's that's just it. It's like all th these guys, these Daniels, these two Daniels. I think they were one of those guys who bought the the Michelle Gondry Complete Works DVD in 2002. They watched it one time. It's collecting dust on the shelf still. And they're like, this is it. This is my calling. I've seen the trailer the and that down. is exactly like my takeaway was, uh, I don't need to watch this, but uh, it, it looks yeah. like a film tailor made for 
20 year olds and that's fine let mm-hmm. them have their nice little movie for 20 year olds and let them have their yeah, thing. if i watched it i would hate it so what's the point of me watching it and getting cranky <laughs> I think I think I might have hated it if I saw it when I was twenty two, but I may just be a racist. It's hard to say. Well, you are. It's hard to Irish, say. You know. That's that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've seen what Mark Wahlberg is. You know, his involvement with the Asian community has been less than stellar. So, uh, yeah, the Irish. <laughs> as, as discussed last week, we are not we are not taking Marky Mark. That's entirely <laughs> on your guys' hands. Uh, You're not drafting him. Come on, him and Flatley. They're they're in your corner. We'll take John Ford. No. He's done the work. We'll accept him <laughs> in. <laughs> you'll allow it. Oh, well, Myros, I don't know. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll get around to seeing it so you can keep up with all the Oscar buzz. And I would recommend that you do, uh, do a double feature with your favorite movie, Betsy Brown's Actors. Uh, but that's not <laughs> I what we're say, here to Steve, talk The about. only thing keeping me, like, watching modern film at all was the fact that we did the Oscar episode. And since we started doing piss takes instead, I haven't watched, like, well, we do. any Oscar nominees <laughs> we, from, like, we the do last piss three takes. years. I thought the Oscars no, were the cornerstone of our entire enterprise. We take that stuff I seriously. Know, people look forward to that. That's Our Oscar episodes are, I mean, they're, they're some of our highest download numbers, I think. You know, people get excited. They go, oh, Let's hear what these guys have to say about the Oscar nominees. And they're that must they're be never why we've plateaued. Because once they fucking downloaded that episode where Jack was rambling on for six hours, they they never fucking <laughs> look. I to another. I episode. probably made some points in the midst of that. Probably mm-hmm. it's possible. Probably I don't yeah. know. I don't remember. Uh, that's specifically it was a good day actually. Ultimately, but you know. Hmm. I, I, I think it was a it was a high point for me. 100 uh, percent. But, but no, anyways, I mean, you know, now we are doing early. I mean, we were we what did we cover last year? Was it 82? I don't, I don't remember. I just remember Blue Lagoon finally seeing that. And that was <laughs> something. That's a motion picture for goddamn sure. sure. Right. The, uh, the raspberries. That's, what the ras- that's right. Yes. Yeah. Which goddamn those guys suck. Did they've already this year nominated like a 14 year old and then revert 12 year old and they had to like pull her from their nominees and apologize because they're the same boring reactionary assholes they've always been. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could at and least I, have the honestly, courage of your shitty convictions. Yeah, no, they don't have that at all. Like they're just—it's like they reach for the lowest hanging, most obvious fruit over and over again, and then they just end up their tail between their legs. Yeah, although the raspberry, the raspberries, the Razzies this year, they did inform me of one thing, and that was I didn't know that Machine Gun Kelly made a stoner comedy. I, I was completely unaware of this. Uh, apparently it didn't make a big cultural splash, but, uh, now I'm interested in seeing it. So yeah, maybe, maybe not the desired effect. Also, I kind of forgot. And this gentleman also have like a pop. Yeah. Punk oh hit yeah. Machine like Gun Kelly. Yeah. He's got all the pop punk hits. He, he's, uh, he's like single-handedly trying to bring back the year 2000 he or he's what? He's got his <laughs> pink guitar and he did a, he did a, a, a collaboration with Willow Smith. He's he's doing it's, it all. It's man. fucking wild that when I was a little younger, we had like like crazy Hollywood couple. We had like Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolie, and they were like vials of each other's blood and doing stupid shit like that. And now we have what Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly, and they're really oh, trying. Machine Gun Kelly, he's he's on some of that fucking Billy Bob Thornton shit though, because apparently he gave. Uh, uh, Megan Fox, like a, I don't know if it's an engagement ring or just a ring or anything, 
but it's got like little like thorns in it or something. Yeah. So she puts it on, it's fine. But if she tries to take it off, it'll like shred her finger or some shit. Yeah, they, so they which say. Which psychotic. Which, yeah I, yeah, I don't believe them for one thing. Secondly, it's you can't just do that shit after the Angelina Jolie, Billy Bob Thornton thing. Like, come up with new material. And thirdly, B Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolie did stuff. Like, they, you know, like, they they were respected in their craft. I mean, no one's going to remember these guys. Megan Fox got a raw deal. Certainly, she deserves a little bit more credit for mm -hmm. what she's done. But she's also not Angelina Jolie. So, you know, and Machine Gun Kelly definitely isn't fucking Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, probably not as an actor and no. even not as a musician. So. No, probably not. Probably not. And, you know, it. The one thing I will say, <laughs> can't wait to see yeah. his sling blade. <laughs> I'm sure he's got it in him. But I mean, the, the one thing I will of. say about the likes of uh, Machine Gun Kelly, also I think Jack Harlow falls into this category. The guys who are just like talentless and embarrassing dweebs who you would still kind of like invite to social things just because they sold you weed and and they weren't jerks about it. They're finally getting to ascend to the, the, the very top of the cultural tower here. So, yeah, it's, it's a great time to be a shitty weed dealer uh, because now you're the biggest pop stars in the world. So shout out to Jack Harlow and Machine Gun Kelly. But wouldn't you know, Jack, we're not here to talk about Jack Harlow or Machine Gun Kelly or uh, the Oscars or That's even... Betsy Brown. That, that's very true, Steve. We're, we're here to talk about something I only know slightly more about. Yes. I'll tell you, we're, we're here to talk about a man I would uh, invite to any house party yeah, I ever threw out there. It's yeah. weird, too, because the, the more I like read, read interviews with this guy uh, and the more I learned about him, I'm like, I think he's just Adam Myros, but like 20 years older. Uh, we're talking about... <laughs> Damon motherfucking Packard today. And this was actually a, uh, this was a request. Uh, we got, we got an email asking if we would do this one. And, you know, we had it on the docket. We, we moved it around a couple times, got a, another email asking for this guy. So uh, I, I like this because I, I think people think that like, this is our shit. Like they associate optimism. Oh, optimism vaccine. They'll love Damon Packard, which Okay, yeah, I'm kind of into the guy, but what does that say about us as people? <laughs> We've cultivated we really real brains. Like, you know, Optimus and Vaccine, what kind of shit are they into? They're into guys with, like, uh, consumer-grade DV cams who are vomiting, like, chunky Campbell's soup in the street. That's, that's their people, right there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to say to to Evan, uh, if you're not aware of Steve and I's uh, on hiatus uh, spinoff podcast, Caustic Content, I would point you <laughs> in that direction, because uh, <laughs> this is this your is... shit. You're going to enjoy some of the stuff we uncover yeah, this on that. Is, this is interesting, too, because it, it definitely has that Caustic Content sheen to it, but unlike Caustic Content, where it's just like this, like, I don't know, like, totally fucking left to center lunatic cinema made by idiots this is i mean every damon packard thing that i've seen so far is the work of a of a very deranged mind uh but it's it's done with sincerity and uh, sincerity and he has like clear talent clearly he has an eye for this stuff and it's goddamn incredible because it's not it's not what we're used to where it's like oh you you know you see these like uh just aggressive uh mini dv movies where they're they're just like kind of like spewing things in your face but there's no there's no artistry behind it and this is like 
fuck, man, he's got something here. And I think Will Sloan summed it up perfectly when he reviewed, uh, uh, oh God, what, what, the 2002 movie, what's, what's Reflections it called? Reflections of Evil. Already? Reflections, Reflections of, of Evil. Reflections of Evil. And he called it Inland Empire meets Bum Fights. And I think that's, that's a pretty accurate summary of what you're going to get with a lot of Damon Packard's work. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I similarly saw like a high meets low sort of factor. And especially if you look at some of the earlier stuff, which we're not talking about in depth here, but like, uh, Dawn of an Evil Millennium and stuff like that. He plays so much with like film speed and I don't know. I, I got like, it almost at times looks like fucking brackage or something like really off the wall experimental but it's got like the spirit of it's like brackage's visual style melded with like lloyd kaufman's fucking puerile <laughs> sensibilities it's, it's just bizarre the gorilla stuff. filmmaking of like a jackass episode basically <laughs> yeah. it's um it's a potent combination uh but yeah i, I think you know, Reflections of Evil is one of those movies where I've heard people talk about it, but it's it's not exactly easy to access. And Damon Packard films, a lot of his stuff is is streaming for free on Tubi. You can get stuff on YouTube as well. But you're not going to see a licensed physical release of this stuff. And frankly, sort of legally, you're probably not even supposed to see it on Tubi for free. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel like if, if Tubi found out no. what they were streaming, they would probably take it off because if there's one unifying theme in damon packard's work it's uh copyright infringement it's it's my god reflections of evil just has footage from star wars episode one and like fucking lord of the rings not right which i mean again the argument could and should be made that it's used in like transformative fair use fashion but uh you know Tubi is not going no, to bad for I don't think anybody on such things. If there's a but, claim but this made, is, this is the yeah. joy of Packard because, you know, you look at the era that he grew up in, and I, I read a bunch of interviews with him, and he, he talks about his influences and stuff, and it's not like he cares that much about, like, horror and exploitation. So this is, like, where the, the Lloyd Kaufman stuff sort of ends because he doesn't fucking like horror movies. He doesn't like traditional horror directors. You know, his heroes were... <laughs> William Freakin and uh, Steven Spielberg. He's obsessed with Steven Spielberg. He loves uh, George Lucas, you know, things like that. So what I'm saying is they, they should have let him direct the Fablemans, but um, he's, he's got all of these like classic Hollywood, you know, big budget studio influences, but then the sort of films that he makes, it, it couldn't be further from that. And he's also not intentionally, but just uncompromisingly handicapping himself because yeah, he, he's just like, you know, you're watching uh, one of his movies and all of a sudden a Carpenter's song comes on. And I don't think that he paid the licensing fee to use the Carpenter's we've only just begun in one of his movies. He's just, he put it in there because he wanted to put it in there. And it, it wasn't even some big artistic swing for him because, again, in an interview I, I was reading, he was just like, no, nah, I just really like the Carpenters. It's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> just threw it in there. Uh, but, you know, he, it, it keeps everything at arm's length, uh, especially now that we're in this era where uh, you've got these amazing labels. You got your Vinegar Syndromes and your Severins and all, and all these other uh, boutique labels that are putting out 
shit that, you know, 20, 30 years ago would have just been passed around by tape traders, you know? We've got a, I, I'm looking at my shelf right mm -hmm. now, I've got a three-volume set of Doris Wishman's work sitting on my shelf. And the idea that that even exists is, is mind-boggling. But, you know, Packard's work sort of harkens back to that, that tape trading era because you, you can't legally put this shit out. So he's one of the only filmmakers I can think of that sort of can only exist outside of any traditional system. Yeah, it's like the only uh, real uh, valid contribution of streaming at this point uh, <laughs> yeah. in 2023 is that uh, it's, at least it's a refuge because nobody gives a shit about having these services to yeah. check for, for things again, that should not be distributed. the greatest so. fucking streaming service in the history of the world. I will, I will die saying that. I mean, ultimately, uh, it's the perfect home because, like you say, it's got, like, Star Wars and shit on it. And, like, ultimately, it all comes up to Disney. It's returned home. Tubi's mm -hmm. owned by it Fox, really which is owned by Disney. This it all belongs together. <laughs> makes sense. I think David Packard should stream on Disney Plus. Honestly, that seems like the the next logical step. Um. <laughs> oh Lord. Uh. But yeah, I. You know. I I was trying to think as I was watching this. I was like, you almost have to. It's like getting into a really hot hot tub. You know. You. you at first you step in you're like whoa that's too much and then you slowly sort of <laughs> you adapt and and you start to get used to what it feels like to be in that boiling hot water and you're just like this is beautiful and that's where that's the damon packard journey that i went on and i i don't know if i made a mistake by doing this but i actually started with some of his newer work i started with his his short film collection uh which is Pitched as an anthology, which I think is hilarious. Uh, I don't know if this is the best place <laughs> to start with Damon Packer, but you, you you do get a little bit of a taste, and I think this is probably more of his like mainstream work. I guess is that is that the best way to put it? Fuck if I know. I I don't know the provenance of most of these, but they're so eclectic. This is certainly not any sort of actual anthology these are just collected previous yeah. works <laughs> uh but i, I mean really it, it kicks off with a movie where it's like three shithead film students uh complaining about you know the state of of modern horror and then tom savini is <laughs> there's a guy <laughs> playing tom savini and, and because everybody loves digital effects and not practical effects <laughs> Tom Savini is given up on effects and is just like a fucking CrossFit coach at this he's, college. Yeah, he's a football coach at the Tom Savini School of Gore, which is where they are, which they <laughs> attend. Yeah, and then their whole thing is we really need to show people that practical effects rock. So when John Carpenter dies, they dig up his corpse and bring him to a party to present him as like, look at how good the practical effects are. And this is wonderful because it, it, that makes no fucking sense at all. Um, all the characters are completely insufferable to degrees you probably previously did not even consider. And the whole thing is a giant piss take because I don't think there's a single fucking practical effect in the entire thing. It's just like <laughs> goofball, cheap <laughs> digital effects. It's fucking great. <laughs> and, and I mean, that's, that's the whole thing with Packard is, you know, I don't know where, you know, 
the irony begins, the sincerity ceases. I don't know where the comedy is and where he's being serious. I have no idea where any of these lines are at any given point. It's very disarming. I think part of the comedy, to watch a movie. the comedy definitely kicks in around the time where one of them shouts, fuck, Dario Argento just fell through the roof. Which is an actual thing that this is what introduced me to what I, I must admit is one of my favorite recurring bits in Damon Packard cinema, which is where people just walk on screen and say they are like, I'm George Romero, I'm John Carpenter. And they have to say it because they look nothing <laughs> like the person they're pretending to be. But you just no. run with it from there. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you kind of squint, maybe the old guy he got to play John Carpenter would work in a pinch. He almost, yeah. Uh, but Dario Argento. That's Packard never himself. In a years. I, I believe that's Packard himself yeah. falling through a roof or jumping on a sofa to be Dario Argento. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the role of a lifetime. It's, it's really beautiful stuff. I mean, frankly, he beat so, Gaspar Noe, who just cast Dario Argento for real, but it's not really the same thing mm -hmm. as, as self-inserting yourself as Dario Argento. <laughs> Yeah, way bigger flex, way bigger flex. Um, yeah, and, and so it kind of sets you up because it does, it, that movie, or that short, more than anything else Packard's done, it kind of sets him up as this, like, trauma-esque, like, oh, it's, it's horror, but it's funny, and it's weird, and you think that's the direction that it's going in. And then it moves to the next segment, where you get... A fucking, well, I, I guess it's almost like a fan film of Miyazaki's Nausicaa, like, <laughs> live action. And it's done with, like, complete yeah. sincerity and reverence for the source material. This, this is and, the I, one that absolutely spun my head, because I'm, I'm a little mixed on yeah. Packard. And, and this is a recurrent thing. I didn't watch these films very closely, I'm going to admit. That, honestly, uh, this one, Tales Beyond Madness, is the one I, I was able to hang with the best because I was able to put it on because I, I basically because I binged these because I didn't I was had a lot of shit going on this week so it's like oh it's the weekend better do the podcast research <laughs> don't binge Damon Packard movies they will fucking drive oh. you insane they are they're just they will just wedge themselves <laughs> into your brain and make you want to scream and and get underneath the furniture they they're and so i i am willing to reapproach them at another time but uh reflections of evil which we'll get to and and some of his other work it's it's a lot and it's very difficult it's very difficult to watch and it's also maybe even harder to half watch which is what i ended up having to do while i was doing other stuff <laughs> but i gotta say this nausicaa portion is bewildering because in one sense it's the only part of what what i've seen of his work that feels like it's actually in any way indebted to standard film grammar it's the only film that i where, mm -hmm. he, where he actually is quite seriously kind of aping another filmmaker style um you know like like there's an it has like an editing schema he has and it's really funny because it is completely like made for like 10 bucks so like there's all you know miyazaki always has animals uh, you know and nausicaa of the valley of the winds animals and wildlife are very important he just has all these insert shots of animals in trees but they are all ha hand operated plush puppets <laughs> that someone is hiding behind a tree <laughs> operating but it's still the shots are assembled in a way that's much more cogent and kind of indebted to traditional film logic or film grammar than anything else in Packard's uh, 
career that I uh, that I've seen from here. And it's very strange because the effect is it seems like a very earnest encapsulation ode to Nausicaa, but also I just, I just don't know how any of this came to be. It's like this is like it's like Steve grew, but much more careful than Steve grew mm-hmm. ever has been in any of his spin-offs, which I think is his downfall. He's he, he needs yeah. to slow down and try a little harder. Damon Packard needs to, like apparently can do it, but he's not even as interested in just making low grade knockoffs. He's off on some other level doing stuff. So this is it's a, an interesting, interesting experience. When this started, I was like, is this what what is th- is this happening? And it never got better as the thing progressed. It was like this is a real thing that everyone spent their weekends probably producing, and it's actually quite beautiful in spots, and it's quite fascinating. Yeah, and the fight choreography—it's right. like legitimate fight choreography. <laughs> this thing that makes no sense. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Why are these people like executing these fight scenes with like a professional level of? it's just it's so bizarre like this this is a an unmooring experience because again i'm sure uh, as well researched as optimism vaccine is here which is uh, not at fucking Mm all um yeah i don't i have no idea why this exists if he was commissioned to make this for some reason if he just like decided that it was a worthy endeavor i have no idea and i'll be saying the same thing when we get into the next segment because there's like a pair here where you're like what in the fuck is this why does it exist yeah i do wonder if it's like uh like was it a test was it to see if he could make something that operated like a miyazaki film but you know like, mm-hmm. like there's no effort to you know he he makes no effort to overcome technical limitations or financial limitations like everything is very it's very much it's some people in a field um and you know like i say hand operated puppets and so on some green screen some yeah. overlaying of like this footage of the anime in there at the start i think just to make sure we understand the reference point um, and then after that, <laughs> I, yeah, I did, did they ask him, was this something like the actors approached him to do? Also, weird, like, I, I mean, may, I, I just, it's something honestly comes up a lot with all of Packard's films is where does he find all the people like this man's friend circle? Because no one got paid for being in these things. I'm pretty sure that none of that didn't happen. No. But his films are full of people. Um performing and acting and in this case doing like adam mentions fight choreography and stuff and speaking in native japanese with subtitles stuck on um sometimes yeah sometimes. For, for a while they didn't bother <laughs> and then towards the end yeah. it gets very talky kind of <laughs> inexplicably but yeah I, I am curious as to how he what what reserves he's tapping into here then the hardest things when you're making a movie is finding people to be in them frankly you know to like put in that time particularly if there's no money and like he seems like he could just pull armies of people into his films when he needs to well and and this one is weird too right because it's like uh, uh, most of his movies have a very you know either i cast someone that i knew or i found a stranger on the street and just asked them to talk for five seconds like it all feels very haphazard whereas this is like no, I've cast actual Asian people for all of these roles, and there's like fight choreography, and it doesn't look like shit. Uh, it, it's it's wild, right? Like this is even the fight choreography. The one thing that stuck with me, I was just like, God, he probably spent like two hundred dollars on this whole fucking thing, and the fight choreography looks better than 
like any contemporary action movie I've seen released in the United States in the last uh, fucking yeah, like, two years. Like China O'Brien could have used the fucking. <laughs> I know, right? They, they should have called <laughs> him David Packard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more than anything God. else, this is the movie that, like, this section is the the film that I just i I kind of love to know what what drove him to make it. But it's it's certainly not something I've ever seen before. I've seen Nausicaa. I've never seen budget Nausicaa. Uh, so. Cool. Yeah, I I wonder the prominence of this. Uh, it's very curious to me. I, I'm also very curious about the next <laughs> one, as I stated, because because I'm like, was this done? Like, I know he had a reputation at the point where this must have existed. Was this like in conjunction with a museum, or is this just out of his own fucking mental illness? <laughs> what the fuck's <laughs> happening here? I don't have any idea. Yeah, and, and this is great, too, because we go from like, oh, you think he's like a horror exploitation guy to, uh, oh, he's a very sincere anime man to, uh, wh what, is the, what is the next segment <laughs> of this? Lost in the thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is what is it's and, the and chronicle is... of the failure of making a, like, it's, it's the making of documentary of the failure to make a making of documentary or something along those lines. Something like yeah. that, yeah. Which is like connected to a MoMA exhibit in some fashion. I don't fucking have any. It's so bizarre. Like, I'm like, this space they have set up. I'm like, well, this is this is something that he's utilizing. Like, what the fuck is the thinking? Like, this logo doesn't seem like something designed by the crew of Damon Packard. Like, I don't know what any of this is, but yeah. it's really goddamn interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. <laughs> Well, and, and then visually you get some of, <clears throat> I, I don't want to call it like a, it's not really a collage thing because I mean, this is all, this is all Packard, but, um, uh, more so than anything, he loves just like weaving in things that he doesn't own into his own <laughs> like shit that he films. And yeah, Zardoz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This movie is basically <laughs> it's fucking Zardoz. Yeah. I, I, and it's a shame that Packard doesn't have a bigger audience because uh, I, I feel like he was kind of ahead of the curve on the Zardoz love. Uh, and really, he's speaking to contemporary America. We, we are living in, in the Zardoz world uh, because what, what, what are we telling the youth of America, Myros? We're telling them the gun is good and the penis is bad. And Damon Packard recognized that. <laughs> uh yeah i that i suppose that's my biggest criticism of this is i was like man i really want to rewatch zard <laughs> <laughs> it's a feeling i have pretty frequently actually so yeah i know i'm like you know what's a good movie zard oh <laughs> not not enough people going to bat for zardoz these days jack you a zardoz head would you believe i have never seen it it's one of those ones that I've been meaning wow. to watch for years, and I just see, I need to do... Are we going to have to watch Zardoz for the podcast you know, next, next week? next week, Boorman forced me to watch Zardoz and Excalibur, two movies I have been meaning to watch for literally decades. Alright, we're doing it, we're doing it. Next week, well, Zardoz. I haven't, I, haven't seen, uh, I haven't seen The Big Dog, so let, let's throw that on there, why not? We're going to Boorman it up. There we go. All right, Borman cast. We're going from, coming. See, we're, we're, we're going. Yeah, yeah. This this fits in with our last week's Michael Flatley episode. As Borman moved to Ireland, but I think didn't piss off as many people. So, <laughs> so yeah, I've, better, better. I've never seen Deliverance for whatever reason. So yeah, oh, this all okay. makes sense. This is good. Borman cast. Next is it typical? Is we're, it typical on podcasts to plan your scheduling on air? Do is this something <laughs> the big ones do? Yeah. Are we doing this right? I, cool. I think yeah. that's how they do yeah. it. 
Uh, it's called a parasocial relationship, <laughs> Jack. People really need to. Yeah, they, they got to know how the sausage is made. And most people, they're like, "Oh, you want to know what's coming next? You better pay for the the Patreon." And we're like, "No, we're just trying to keep the lights on. We're going to tell you on air, like as we're thinking of shit." So I think we're yeah, a lot our better. Patreon explicitly promises nothing beyond Steve sending you random media. Uh, yeah, you, know. you do get movies in the mail. We should probably do a, a, another episode for the patrons soon too. You know. Not to, not to lay out no, our we dirty laundry. We make no promises. We make no promises. We make no promises. <laughs> Could happen. Maybe I'll just uh, maybe I'll send everybody another movie. Just as kind of like a hey, I, I I got a lot of. movies. We should download like three other <laughs> like what this was. We should download like three other popular podcasts and have uh, Colin just edit them together incoherently and just Packer oh, that's Packer Pod for the Patreon. <laughs> Packer See, pod. this is a. Uh... We've become lost in the thinking here. This is now a podcast about the the failure to make a, a podcast. This is an incredible. Packard is a genius. If, okay, wait. I still, I have, I have a um, uh, like a DVD burner drive still, like a little external one. So I bust that out. And what if I sent all of our patrons a copy of Betsy Brown's <laughs> Actors? What do you guys think of that? You're still. You're, no one is going to remember that film, dude. That's going to date this I podcast. Know, that's the best part. It's, it's it is a very uh, Damon Packard esque disregard for <laughs> copyright law. So. Yeah, dis disregard for copyright law, disregard for <laughs> anything. Also, we're tapping into like the non zeitgeist, which is when film Twitter uh, gets their feathers ruffled by something that no one else in the universe cares about. And it's just like three people yelling and no one's ever going to see this movie. And also so, kind of the achiness because uh, hey apparently Actors is like kind of an achy film. And really me bad, meanwhile, yeah. Packard is like possibly filming homeless people fighting for real in later films. I, I don't know. <laughs> I genuinely don't. Maybe he just knows people who do that anyway. He, he might based yeah. on all of his other films. He is a guy for everything. So, I don't know. Who the, I think it's like half and half. I think some yeah. of it's staged and some of it is just he's walking around think, L.A. with a yeah. fucking camera and seeing what happens. And yeah, that yeah. shit's going to happen. I mean, his his experience, now that we're on Reflections of Evil, Damon Packard's Are we? experience <laughs> of, uh, of, of Hollywood is very similar to my experience of just walking around Hollywood at night. Like, it's, I mean, that's pretty much all it is. If you're in downtown L.A., it's, it's just Reflections of Evil. Uh, but I, one of the interviews yeah. I read with him he was actually asked like point blank, like, were you, were you just like filming crazy people or like what was going on? And he said that, um, everyone, like very few people were actors. They're mostly just people on the street, but he like went up to them ahead of time and said, Hey, I want to film you just like do whatever, say whatever. And they did. <laughs> uh, that being said, I still think a lot of the people that he filmed were just homeless people. Uh, but <laughs> I, and did, uh, they could yeah, say whatever because he posed like the entirety of Reflections of Evil is post dubbed effect. Like there's no live sound. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> right. None. Well, none. I'm pretty sure none of the equipment he was working in with was. Oh, even no, no. Of and that, I mean, frankly. the soundtrack is mostly no, just no. people say they're going to fucking kill you over and over again. That's a recurring theme. Yeah. Well, and, so, and he said yeah, that like. As we like transition into that, I suppose we're transitioning from. I mean, we can talk about some of the craft behind what you see in the more modern stuff in Tales Beyond Madness, and it you can see it, especially, I mean, the editing is going to drive most humans insane, but it's it's not without skill. There's a ton of effort that goes into all of these productions, but let's not mince words. Uh, whatever this is filmed on looks like complete oh, shit. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> and, Reflections of Evil, it's a that's where pungent, we... ugly film. 
See, I don't. I see. I, Reflections of Evil is different to me than Tales Beyond Madness because Tales Beyond Madness is like he's either working with fucking tape or digital. I'm not sure what, but somewhere in that range. Whereas uh, Reflections of Evil, it is at times hideous, but it, it, it's a mixed format. I mean, I'm I, talking. I mean, I'm talking about like the, all the on the streets of L.A stuff yeah because he yes he right. does i think like super eight you said like is is inserted like other sections but yeah they also it's like it's hot consumer grade overly saturated like cheap digital so yeah you know and sh- it's not it's 16 he mil. shot reflections of evil on 16 mil yeah god yeah. what is to be done to mil. it uh <laughs> See, there are, it's like you can watch the the stock change. Like, I'm sure some of it had to be consumer grade because you can, you could like watch even like one fucking scene. You can tell where (laughs) there's like a secondary cam that he cuts in that's like, oh. And most of the older stock, like the 16 mil and the Super 8, is like the lens is fucking filthy. I am shocked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and maybe it's just because it's like, it's, it's not even in HD on Tubi. It's like, it looks like it was scanned straight off like a the DVDs he self-made in probably 2002 when he released the film. Um, so oh, yeah, sure. okay, okay, that's true. me. I would never imagine he actually shot it on film because it really, because it's real hot, it's real, like it, like the colors and everything, like it's an over, it's basically like kind of like what the world looks like just before you're about to throw up as a kid in the back of the car. Like you could feel it coming <laughs> and you know, and you're just trying to like will yourself to not, but you know that it's going to happen. That's what the film looks like to me. To me, there's a, like a, a visual richness, even in this, which again, it's not shot to be beautiful. It's not beautiful except for a few sequences that are going for a more sort of, nostalgic dreamlike aesthetic but most of it is is shot intentionally to be pretty goddamn hideous and it is but there's still like a texture to this film that does not exist in what you see in those shorts sure mm-hmm. and yeah i mean uh, on top of it as well i mean also the sound design of this is uh pretty pretty intense um again like and and again i guess part of what like made me just think okay so this is all just shot like consumer grade equipment because i mean like the the audio blows out constantly it's just defer the opening sequences particularly like there's just a lot of screaming and gnashing of teeth and like it's uh it, it's it's not a kind of audio mix you will ever hear in a professional film no one no one does this uh for a variety no. of reasons <laughs> Well, you, people don't put like helium voice characters in That's for no true. We, we, yeah, I mean, like, like, yeah, it's entirely post dubbed. Everyone, it's very clearly, you know, had their dialogue replaced. I don't know who he's getting to do the dialogue. Where, where you found that? But yeah, I mean, he the way he just constantly tweaks voices, also distorts faces, just like he's using filters and things on it. That's and again, that's curious because like he's so he what he scanned sixteen mil and did like because there's digital. Like the shit, like balloon face digital distortions and stuff that look like, you know, shitty Adobe After Effects things. Well, I mean, how much, I mean, what was the level of digital video even prevalent when he must have been shooting this? Early 2000s would be, I mean, yeah, that's like DV, I mean, like this would have been around the time. When was um, Julian Donkey Boy shot? That was around the same time. I mean, you, you could get a, you could get a, 
Yeah, but also how long was Reflections of Evil probably shot over the course? This is so a it feels fair like point. Thing, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That yeah, I don't think it was like shot in 2001 or something i get the sense no probably <laughs> this is fair it might, might be worth mentioning this film basically features um damon packer playing a, a morbidly obese uh, uh watch salesman just walking around the streets of la mostly uh, and he's he's not actually morbidly obese he's clearly a man wearing 800 t-shirts with something stuffed under them uh, <laughs> and also it's like 17 too. pairs of yes, headphones. Lots of pairs of headphones yeah it's my favorite kind of fat guy it's it's where like okay I don't have money for a fat suit but I do have a pillow from my bed and like seventeen hoodies that I could wear simultaneously. <laughs> Which always suffering for your art walking around L.A. all day and that shit is yeah. gotta be unpleasant. And I just like Myra said too, he's like he's got fourteen pairs of broken headphones hanging from his neck. It would make sense almost if he was like monitoring audio, which he's not. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Hanging out. It's, it's really, and God, it's like, it, the funny thing is, is like, it's not even the same costume over and over again. It's like his fatness levels that his headphone levels are constantly changing. I think like makes the whole thing even more chaotic. To try and sum up that, like, like how does what this this film is a fantasia, I suppose is is probably which is a good way of kind of summing that this movie does not abide by any laws of storytelling. Every book that's ever been published on the uh, on the art of screenwriting would probably just open well with a thing <laughs> saying, "Don't do any of this." Uh, it's it's a film about as we say, a man wandering the streets of L.A. and it becomes increasingly apparent he is he's lost in some kind of a dream world. As, as the reality starts shifting and fluxing and then it turns out that his his sister died in the 70s and is looking for him and maybe they're perhaps both in some kind of netherworld wandering uh, and then just a lot of other bits and pieces like like Adam mentioned it's uh, he is inserted early like footage from other films he's made get edited in but also E.T. gets edited in and numerous I mean the film opens with um with Tony Curtis introducing the film with <laughs> introducing the film with Damon Packard's voice or name hastily edited in over over wherever he mentions the character's name to give a personalized intro to this film. I think it's a very suitable intro to to what you're about to see, which is essentially like you don't know what to expect. Don't even try and predict it. Just whatever happens next is going to happen, and which is part of what, you know, like I say, this was not a great experience for me. It is a film I will think about watching again at some point, but I would actually want to sit down and steal myself for it because it is very lurid and attack forward it's very like in your face in its sound design and everything it's not a chill film at all and it is it is two hours <laughs> 17 minutes long so it's like two hours 17 minutes of like insane improv but it's it's film so it's not improv at all someone actually worked very carefully to make all this happen and it is not always apparent why anyone would do such a thing so uh <laughs> you know it, your mileage may vary on this one. I would say maybe start with Tales Beyond Madness if, if you know, if you're going to do this. But I don't know. You know, mm. I guess Reflections of Evil is it's very much its own thing. Or yeah. the third film. Oh, I yeah. Mean, that, I mean, the third film. But I mean, Fatal Pulse is something that. If you have a certain sensibility, I could see it being accessible. This is. I think probably famous uh, to an extent. I mean, in the way that a Damon Packard film is famous. Like, Damon Packard is the man who directed Reflections of Evil. 
And I think the reason for that is because it is so confrontational and so inaccessible sure. in its structure. Yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of yeah. that, like, adult swim energy uh, of just, like, an absolute... Like, I mean, it's got a strong level of that, like, kind of Tim and Eric just, like, throw out the rule book, like, like the, the purposely badly made kind of concept where, you know, like, ever and, like, spoofing old tech and technical issues and audio fallout and stuff like that. Um... It has it has kind of those elements, but imagine if rather than doing that for like comedic effect, you were doing it to create something that's just basically uh, like an utterly incoherent kind of like uh, kind of a collage assault on an audience, just designed to wrong foot the audience on every single moment. Uh, I, you wonder if this is like legitimately influential in. The formation of anti-capital. Right. Like, I, I wonder how many of those people have seen this thing, because it is mm -hmm. kind of fascinating in that respect. Also, I, I sat through uh, Dawn of Evil, which is another compilation of uh, some of his earlier stuff. Most of it's kind of, like, condensed. <laughs> but um, there is a, a segment where he's with this actor friend of his, um, and they're just, like, visiting like horror houses essentially they visit the house where et was filmed and it's just like this complete piss take about how like nobody trick-or-treats anymore and it it is totally <laughs> i'm like this is a fucking tim and eric skit if i've ever seen one it's, it's wild i mean it could it could yeah, be because I, I mean like the room took off from the la comedy scene just from like two guys just like kept renting a theater to show us and now it's like an international mm -hmm. sensation. Those LA people, they, they seem they can spread their, their terrible habits at will. Well, pa <laughs> Packer did say that after he made Reflections of Evil, he like burned a bunch of uh, DVD-R copies and he mailed them to a bunch of like Hollywood people because apparently at the time, and I don't know if you could do this anymore, used to be able to go into like, uh, like movie stores and shops and stuff and you could buy a list of like here's where these famous stars and directors just fucking live <laughs> uh, which is wild but yeah so he did that and he said he sent out a bunch of these and like no one responded the only person who responded was john landis and john landis told him that he watched the whole thing it was just like it's pretty good maybe cut it down to 80 minutes <laughs> so I mean, say yeah, say what we great. want about attacking the audience, but like John Landis is the man who killed people. So you know, frankly, Packard's yeah, John on, Landis is killed. Got to get on his level. Yeah, see, I, I I'm think... going to. Uh, in my mind, I'm going to create the, like my own mental legend of this movie that it was in fact instrumental in the anti-comedy movement and also instrumental to like guerrilla filmmakers like fucking Sean Baker or something. Because there's elements of that in this too. It's just it's so fascinating yeah. there are but i mean it's well, not it's, it's weird watching this because it's it's like it's like five fucking years before youtube exists and so right. much of what he's doing it feels like just like proto youtube proto internet culture it's it's just it's wild yeah you can see like all these different paths his career might have taken as opposed to whatever the fuck his career is which i mean is kind of I don't know. I, again, it's like, does this man make a comfortable living as like a cult figure or is he just like fucking still? He, he does not. Live it out I the can assure you. What? <laughs> no, he doesn't live on the streets. He lives in a rented room in Eagle Rock, which is like, a, I don't know. It's, it's a kind of nice L.A. neighborhood, but it's like mostly like, 
I don't know, Gen X people with a little bit of money and nicer houses. And they're like, I have a baby, but I don't want to move out of the LA area. They moved to Eagle Rock. Well, I, um, well, you could see him as like this sort of early internet pioneer in, in that sort of short filmmaking, or you could see him also like, if you look at his early work, like probably what his intention was when he moved to LA is this sort of hyper film literate guy, like, you know, some sort of alternate reality of like a Tarantino type. I mean, his style is obviously like he probably saw evil dead and was like, I can do that. And he made Dawn of an evil millennium and figured he'd shop it around and someone would pay him to make movies. And mm -hmm. instead he just kind of rotted in LA until he got this, uh, inheritance or whatever that allowed him to make reflections of evil which god bless you man if you're gonna get a fucking nest egg inheritance and be like what shall i do with this make reflections i mean and he's far dad got, a, got an inheritance and made le bon or bait what was there le poncour so yeah it's a good company here and pretty much pre she pretty much predicted the entire sweep of 60s art house cinema like le poncour predates mm -hmm. uh like so much of work of Antonioni and René, uh, you know, and was much less well known than those, although I think that's changing. So, yeah, I mean, it would be an interesting thing, kind of a similar, similar setup of someone doing this and kind of predating the shape of the Internet age and this kind of like strong, like you say, anti-humor and kind of like a an ironic veil around the images that makes you wonder why, you know, there's no clear purpose to what's being made or why it's being exhibited at all, which I think YouTube kind of created this idea that you could just post content, even the whole concept of content that it would emerge from that, this idea that you could just package up anything and just put it on YouTube was audiovisual and let anyone figure out what it was afterwards uh, and completely... I mean, honestly, which sounds so incredibly exciting, except that, like, frankly, uh, I feel like the, all the consequences of it mostly have been bad for, for visible mainstream, con uh, you know, stuff. But, uh, you know, but the idea is fascinating. It certainly it certainly seems like it could do some good stuff. And and they're out there. Mm -hmm. there there's great stuff out there. But, you know, it, I, I think if we were all, like, way up and say, like, has, you know, the digital film boom been great for American cinema? No, not at all. It's been fucking terrible, and it's getting worse. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, because it, it's just a different... It, it takes craft out of filmmaking to a great degree. Because it's just like, yeah, the film whatever, you know. But you're paying for film stock, you don't film whatever. <laughs> Unless yeah. you're Damon Packard, apparently. But <laughs> that's the... That's like the thing about this movie is it's almost impossible for me to recommend to anyone except the most like hardened sort of viewer who knows what they're getting into. But that being said, it also, it's good. Like it has this remarkable effect of attacking a sort of mindset that I, I think is not really represented because it's, it's not easily represented because it has a very sort of nasty tone to it. Yeah. And almost... Like, this is a film that could read as, as racist, uh, certainly. Sure. Um, and, I, but what I really think that is, is this sort of, it captures this marginalization that, it, that can occur living in a major metropolis like that. When you're, when you're someone on the margins and things have not gone as you expect and you sit there and you witness that every day, it's, it changes you. It does. I've, I've gone through something similar when I lived in Seattle and I was not enjoying myself. And every day you go into the city and you get a little 
hardened and you start to see things emerge that you don't like. And that's why I don't live in Seattle anymore, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I think this film does an amazing job of sort of capturing it, that, like this man kind of given over to that. It's nasty, yeah, like kind of like sort of falling down. Falling down was much more like on the level of actual like mental breakdown, like on the right. cusp of that. Not like not trying, not packaging it up for the audience, but like bringing the audience, dragging them down into it. It's so great too. Like some of the bits in this. I don't even know if you can call them bits, but <laughs> like I, my favorite parts are I, I love when it's it's another sequence of, of him like walking down the street, telling people he's going to kill him and screaming at him. But it's just for some reason, it's like just a bunch of people walking their dogs. It's like a half dozen people walking their <laughs> dogs and then all the dogs are barking at him and then he's yelling at the dogs. And there's this amazing point where, you know, they, they shoot him walking down the street and then they're like, oh, no, we need more of this. So then the next shot is him and he's just walking the opposite direction down the same fucking street <laughs> and just yelling at the same dogs again. And it's oh, yeah, that's, that's the most punctuated, like it's punctuated with police brutality, which is another aspect of this, certainly that, that is recurring. And but it's also there's a point at, in the midst of like like 10 fucking Rottweilers attacking him where this woman just like walks out swinging a chain yes. smashes him with it. I'm like, what the fuck? And all, she looks like she gets a couple of hits on him too. I'm, I'm not sure that yeah. uh, <laughs> she might be suffering for his heart there, but so, so be it. Well, That's unfortunately he's wearing a 75 That's, shirts. That is true. That's, <laughs> yeah, you know. so well, and then, and then wouldn't you believe uh, they went to, <laughs> I think they went to fucking Bush Gardens and also uh, Universal Studios and they got fucking permanently banned from Universal Studios, <laughs> which is amazing because they like go through and like film the fucking E.T. ride and there's this whole like E.T. subplot and then everything else is just them walking around. It's like, oh, the Blues Brothers car is driving by. And he's like, I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> swinging his duffel bag around it's it's and, and again like that it's, that precursor what was that one they did in disneyland i mean sean baker shot in disney disney world for florida oh, yeah. project i'll see you surreptitiously but there was the also um but there was what was that the welcome to tomorrow or whatever that they shot secretly in disneyland that was yeah. supposed to be like really edgy or whatever and then i just i don't know anyone who watched it and no one talks about it and i have a feeling it might not be that great but again kind of an interesting echo ahead of of and, and if again did he he really did he bring a 16 mil camera in to do this or was that the because that's impressive I, so I, I don't know what the whole setup was but the other thing is, is like, uh, you know these other people are like oh you know i we secretly shot here or, you know with, with sean baker it's not like he what he was shooting wasn't the type of thing that would get you negative attention. But every single interview I've read with Damon Packard repeatedly talks about how he never gets permits to film anywhere. He films wherever the fuck he wants to. And he doesn't understand why he's constantly being harassed by the police and security guards. <laughs> Cause that's what, I mean, it's a movie about him. Like if you're in downtown LA and you're in a fat suit screaming, like that's it's par for the course. But if you go into Universal Studios dressed like the guy in Reflections of Evil with like 27 hoodies on and a duffel bag and all these broken fucking headphones, just go like, ah, over and over again. <laughs> like he doesn't <laughs> at, at no point does he tone it down just to get whatever he needs to get. Like 
he's just going fucking full force this whole thing it's and it's incredible <laughs> so i mean if he's swinging for the fences god bless him but also it's 138 minutes uh, maybe you don't want to get screamed at for 138 minutes and i understand that as well so not gonna dogpile yeah. on, on you too much here, Jack. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I can see it. It's just this week was very busy, and just this is a difficult thing to fucking multitask with, man. Because at a certain point, he's just screaming at you while you're trying to just live your life. So, you know, I'll probably wind my way back to Reflections of Evil someday. <laughs> I love the idea of you just, like, opening up, like, a fucking spreadsheet for work. And Damon Packard's just like, ah, as he like spews blood out of his mouth. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things is actually just another like goofy joke about this thing is that there's there's a very early in the film, a protracted vomiting scene. There are probably several vomiting scenes in the film, as I recall, and a lot of people hitting the pavement hard and their heads exploding or whatever. A lot of chunky stuff. But uh, there's one scene where he's he's puking for a very long time. And in the IMDb trivia section, they say Packard is, is noticing that he only he had to put that in on a producer's insistence which is a really good bit as if anyone forced him to do anything in this film um so yeah damn it i need you to dump chunky campbell's soup on the ground that's what this movie yeah, as, as if the tone of the entire rest of the film isn't pretty much the same as a man just vo- violently <laughs> vomiting <laughs> Uh, yes, studio like interference. He's, ref- he's vomiting because he's eating little those little like miniature chocolate liquor bottle candies. <laughs> <laughs> and he eats too many, so he throws up. Oh my uh, god! Yeah, yeah. Well, we should also point out that IMDb also lists Reflections of Evil Two as being in production with the tagline "Bobby is back and he's fatter than ever." <laughs> <laughs> Will this movie ever exist? Probably not, but one never knows. I, I hope so. God, if he does a Kickstarter, we'll uh, we'll we'll pimp it out on the podcast and on Twitter, and I'll I'll throw him, I'll throw him a couple bucks. Uh, I bet if, yeah, I bet if I yeah, gave sure. Damon Packard a hundred dollars for Reflections of Evil Two, one he could shoot a quarter of the movie, and two I would get an executive producer credit. So uh, that's that's something I'm willing, I'm willing to do. It's an investment I I can make. So we'll see. Uh, but we do have we got one more movie to talk about. And, and this and is something <laughs> it's it sure is something I don't I, again, like I struggle with like, oh, what's what's the best entry point for Damon? I don't fucking there is no best entry point. You just get <laughs> in. and it's Uncomfortable. But maybe this is because this feels like it's got that aggressiveness of reflections of evil, but it's scaled back just enough. Where it, it feels a little less like you're getting punched in the face every five seconds uh but yeah fatal pulse is uh it's it's his I, 90s Myros, erotic thriller it? Uh, I, I believe it's how <laughs> to be or describes it or someone which the plot summary I, which i love too because i don't think i mean damon packard doesn't have any interest in gore in the traditional sense and he certainly does not have any interest in sex so far as i can tell uh, nary a titty to be seen or, uh, you know, any kind of like lady ogling to be done here. 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is an erotic thriller. This is uh, <laughs> what's the most erotic part of Fatal Pulse? Feel free to uh, weigh in. I mean, it's probably the footage from erotic thrillers that he steals. <laughs> the hand that rocks the cradle. I think yeah. there's something erotic about Julia Roberts living on your sofa for four years. I think that's yeah, that's, that's something that's pretty erotic. I mean, th- yeah. This film certainly more so than probably uh, other than like John Carpenter's corpse uh, is probably his most like obviously comedic like there there are jokes in this there's a very clear mm-hmm. comedic framing to everything that happens the film otherwise is just a wild thing it's it starts off and you're kind of like what this is just there's a guy on the sofa who's just watching tv all the time while the man who runs the world because governments are fake because he's so important lives in the house and and this the guy on the sofa is his his brother-in-law who won't leave and is slowly driving him insane because he won't leave and then it spirals out from there to some they're trying to and again bear in mind i wasn't able to give this as much attention as i could and at certain points i was like sorry what uh, like they're trying no, to you'd, you'd be saying you, that because no, so, they're watching it with a magnifying yeah. glass jack you had the same because <laughs> they're trying they're trying to make it 1991 permanently and no further nothing can go past 1991 because that's like going to be the last year um but i believe they've already passed <laughs> that year but they're they're doing some stuff because it's like the secret shadowy governments and then at a certain point a man gets turned into a puppet it's it's a whole film it is an hour and 55 minutes long which is an achievement unto itself but it is it's really it's it's much it, it is much less uh, attack centric to the just general sensibilities they have i i mean it's 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 easier to watch because it's obviously got these jokes to it it also has admittedly only one lighting setup to the most part which seems to be like a revolving green and purple light that they stick in every single scene yeah. uh, but you know but it kind of <laughs> creates bisexual light. yeah yeah it's, it's really yeah it's, it's pretty much like bisexual lighting but the same bisexual lighting in every single scene no matter what's happening um but yeah it, it's it is an interesting film and and often quite funny i mean there there are some really really pretty funny stuff in this one yeah to me yeah, it's it, like it's it, it reeks of like this sort of adaptations of unfilmable literature that you'll see like a a pinchon-esque conspiracy film or something sure. like, and, and you know very much like most pinchon is set in a very particular era and it sort of festooned with all of that sort of nonsensical regalia of of said era and this is it's 1991 that's for sure but it's also it's just completely goddamn ridiculous like i yeah uh, it's hard to describe but it's also really funny (laughs) it's a funny fucking movie yeah and and some of the jokes too i kind of feel vindicated because there's certain things that i find very funny where I'm like, absolutely no one else will laugh at this. Uh, and and I think one of the greatest jokes that culture broadly has failed to embrace is how fucking shitty the Rush album Roll the Bones is. And this <laughs> movie has an entire extended bit making fun of fucking Roll the Bones. <laughs> I, you know, I'd already forgotten. Like dying laughing. There's so much in this film. I forgot that there's an impromptu Rush live performance featuring two or three guys who we are told are rush and uh, this is after sade leaves yeah. the stage of course uh <laughs> of course, a lot of course, going on yeah, which is- 
<laughs> and then there's another guy in the movie who just keeps calling Bono Bono for some reason. And let's not forget, of course, the William Friedkin cameo by a man with oh, and they just write William so Friedkin, I think, on the screen, and that's that's all you need to know. He's William Friedkin yeah. and he wants While to make he says, art. I'm William Friedkin. Yes. <laughs> Let me tell you about movies. That's right. Yeah, so like the climax of the film involves him trying to get William Friedkin's The Guardian into a multi <laughs> This man who who purportedly controls the world essentially. This big this conspiracy is, I, is I to uh, like... kill single theater movie houses. That's right. Yeah. Virus, like you're I, I feel like Damon Packard and you are, are kindred spirits because when I think about like your screenwriting class that you're in right now, I I, I just I picture the script for Fatal Pulse and you like handing it to your professor and him saying, absolutely not. Like that's, that's what I see. And, and I, I just, I don't know. There's, there's a Damon uh, Packard virus connection somewhere. I, I, I don't disagree. I do feel a certain kinship with, with him, except I wouldn't need the 75 t-shirts to pull off the fat guy look, but, uh, <laughs> you could probably get a role in this next film yeah. if you just show up. <laughs> Uh, I I also feel like you could do a tight eighty minute reflections of evil cut. I don't know if you'd need the full like one hundred and thirty eight minutes. So, uh, yeah, certainly not. I I I feel like it'd have to. Be, I'd have to bring Colin in for the edit on that one with his fucking vast obsession for like old television commercials and shit. Like this is mm-hmm. the, all of these are heavily featured. That sort of oh odd yeah. I yeah I think I think setting. it's 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 kind of like. If I have like a cinematic reference for him, uh, and the, the films are not, they don't operate in the same register at all. It's it's. But Packard reminds me a lot of like if you say of someone like like Jess Franco as someone who essentially filmed his life in, in one sense. He he just all he did was make films, and so when all you do is make films, and when you're not making films, you're making another film. Uh, everything ends up being shot and you're not in it obviously you know they're they're fiction feature films that you're you're able to string together but they are produced with such a consistency that they become almost a snapshot of where you were and what resources you had around you at any given time and those start to formulate and, and create this kind of meta textual narrative that runs through all of your films and creates this fascinating kind of tapestry uh, it, Packard is is kind of a kind of a modern flip side version of that in that he is someone who seems to have film as uh, uh, and film and media and television generally and advertising all of it together has formed this kind of reference point for him that he dips in and out of and restructures to his to his own pleasures which is uh, like we've mentioned very, feels very much in line with stuff like say Tim and Eric um, and, you know, that kind of like very kind of postmodern absurdist kind of um, harnessing of media and recontextualizing and decontextualizing and uh, copyright infringement actually out the wazoo, just complete you know anything goes restructuring of things. And you know these all these films are full of like, so much footage that he's scoured from somewhere. I mean, some of it looks like he found it maybe online later uh but you know so like he some of the stuff he's found is like just old adverts and little music promos and shit that he's stuck in like there's a real plethora of unusual materials gathered here to create this entirely unconvincing early 90s milieu uh that comes down to ultimately just dunking on like vanilla ice 
it's it's a very <laughs> peculiar application <laughs> of the process but in the way in a sense it feels like uh packard feels like someone who who views life through cinema or through media in a way that kind of reminds me a little bit of jess franco it seems like every his communication his outreach to the world is through reframing media and maybe that's just the way he works i don't know but it, it, it just like i just wonder if you if you were to talk to him in real life if he wouldn't be somewhat like us maybe and that he just you know everything is like what he'd seen recently what he was working on you know interesting story about what mm -hmm. happened with this advert no one's thought about in seven years you know it feels like there's that kind of like low-grade obsession bubbling through like he's a keeper of these things and an organizer of them yeah there's yeah. it is such a strange like aesthetic to this thing because it is this very artificial recreation of 1991 with this it, it, well i mean there's anachronist anachronistic nonsense all over the place but beyond that even like if you took his most pure aim it does not feel like it is meant in any way to really recreate that it's almost like this sort of plasticine like ryan murphy fucking american crime story 90s or something like it and that is mixed with uh, man it's it's just so difficult to describe what's going on in this film i think the closest like tonally is again like if you look at like tim and eric's bedtime stories or something like you could literally slot like tim heidecker into the lead of this film and it would make perfect sense <laughs> yes no it would it 100 yeah. same register completely yeah mm -hmm. uh yeah it's for better Again, or I, worse I, the thing, <laughs> for better or for worse yeah well, I, I, I mean this guy mike hickey whoever the hell he is i mean he's not like in, in, this movie doesn't have like famous people in it none of his work does but if anything did i would suppose it would be this since it's more recent but yeah i have no idea who the fuck the guy is but he he's, he does well <laughs> like like mm -hmm. this most of the performances in this are stilted but like they're at a certain register that really serves the film like it, yeah yeah i i don't know like i keep going back to like who would i actually recommend this to because it's something that like i'm excited about i think it's interesting and then it holds this unique place in terms of like what it means for early you know 21st century cinema and all this but it's it's just so abrasive and and i don't really know so all i could think of is like do, do you think that like neil hamburger is the pinnacle of comedy uh this might be the thing for you <laughs> that's 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 all i got uh but yeah damon packard fucking awesome cool dude Seems interesting. I wish someone would give him a lot of money. I think it'd be super funny. Like, if I won Powerball tomorrow, I would immediately give Damon Packard, like, $3 million and just be like, do something. Because uh, I want to see what that looks like. I, I feel like he'd <laughs> but, take $3 million and he'd try and just buy the rights to everything he used so he could release Reflections <laughs> of Evil on Blu-ray. No, I think what he would do is he would probably make Reflections of Evil 2 for $300 and then he would keep the rest of the money to live <laughs> off of. That would be the sensible thing uh, to do. That would be the sensible thing. Yeah. To do. Yeah. That's yeah. like the question. Uh, that's another thing. Again, we're wrapping, but, uh, as to his authenticity, like uh, the conspiracy theory stuff, <laughs> like, I'm like, is this guy a conspiracy loon or is this just all fucking bullshit? It's like impossible <laughs> to fucking tell. <laughs> no, I, I can't, I can't tell at all. Like, uh, 
he seems he seems like a pretty normal person in interviews and stuff. And I think he's just like I, I think he's kind of in a place where he's got this devout cult following, but that following hasn't transitioned to any sort of like broader success or monetary success. And he's happy with what he's created, but he's just sort of like, I don't know. He just feels like a guy from another era. Uh, one of the interviews I read, the interviewer remarked that he was like scrolling through Tinder kind of like mindlessly when he showed up. And then he, <laughs> Damon Packard said, yeah, it sucks. All these women, they're, they're not night people at all. Everybody's a morning person now. I just need a woman who wakes up after 12 p.m. and is unemployed. <laughs> That's what he's looking for. Can you imagine the trust exercise like, of showing your significant other fucking reflections of evil? That's a, a make or break <laughs> moment. But I just feel like there's so much sincerity in it where I think he just feels completely disconnected from whatever the LA was that, that he came to originally from Akron, Ohio, and then where his career has gone. And he has this just amazing body of work, but then there's, there's natural limitations with the choices that he's made in terms of like how, how he can live off of that shit. And, and that sucks because there's a lot of jabronis out there who are making trash and make it a living off that trash, and, and they don't fucking deserve it. Damon Packard deserves a big fat paycheck, a it comically is, large paycheck, it also so he can buy more hooded sweatshirts. Yeah, it also segs us in, I mean, with current controversy, actually a little bit about uh, The People's Joker, the film that played at, what, the midnight at Toronto Film Festival, I think, last year, and uh, played for one screening, and then was they got cease and desisted by Warner Brothers because I mean it's it's a fan made Joker movie, but it it a hundred percent legally everyone knows is protected under parody fair use law, uh, but. Uh, Warner Brothers are leaning on him anyway and I think it sounds like recently I think the director she posted something that suggested they might have come to some kind of an agreement on but like Warner Brothers absolutely tried to you know they know that legally it probably the other film will win out but you know make them pay the money they probably don't have to go to court against Warner Brothers to because they just want to protect it it's it's kind of in that same mode I mean the Damon Packard makes movies that are fundamentally probably unreleasable because they use a lot of things that technically belong to other people but he uses them in ways that are not the way they were used originally so you know no. uh, it's it's <laughs> so yeah I mean I'm all for I'm never gonna be able to listen to a Carpenter song ever again I gotta be whatever its original meaning was it's lost it now it's just a man vomiting in the streets (laughs) (laughs) oh god uh well we should probably wrap things up so uh jack what do you put over this week yeah i i am gonna put over uh not a movie this week or a video game i'm gonna put over an article on slate.com so um, writer Mark O'Connell, an Irish writer, wrote this really great response to the Banshees of Inishirin. Yeah, It's titled Blarney, I think is the name of it. If you search Slate.com, Banshees of Inishirin, Mark O'Connell, I'm sure you'll find it. It's a really great response to the film, and I really like Banshees of Inishirin. I, I really enjoyed the film. I think it's a very good film, um, but it is absolutely kind of part of an Irish literary tradition 
uh, that is open to scrutiny and that's exactly what Mark O'Connell does in his article. He, he kind of tries to place McDonough's vision of Ireland in the wake of, say, uh, J.M. Singe particularly. And it's a really great article in that. And one thing he doesn't do in the article is claim that Mark McDonough is, or that Martin McDonough isn't Irish. He doesn't do anything like that. He has no interest in that. He is saying specifically that Martin McDonough's Irish voice is part of a broader tradition and should be looked at in that lens. That's what he did. It's a great article. Every American on Twitter who read it is losing their shit because they think that he's basically attacking their Irishness and their claim to Irishness. And it's been bewildering to watch. And it's kind of kind of hilarious, but very confusing because every Irish person I know who read this said, this is really interesting. This is very good. And like I say, I think it's certainly probably the best response to the film I've seen, even though it's negative of the film. And I really quite liked the film. I think it's a really interesting article. The uh, response from Americans has been crazy. Presumably Irish Americans, they all have interpreted this as some kind of a, a vicious attack on the notion of real Irishness and denigrating expats and so on. It's just utterly in their head. Uh, it's it's wild. And, uh, you know, so so read it and then do a search on, on, on Twitter. See who you can find complaining about it and just take note because uh, they might all be nuts. Yeah, a lot of people who like to have like six beers and then tell you that they're 8% Irish and that they feel really connected to their Irish heritage are very upset about that article. But you're right, it's, well, it's really I good. I mean, Jack is out here uh, fucking, he's, he is doing what this article is accused of, I'll say, you know, he's out here fucking <laughs> questioning uh, Mark Wahlberg's authentic Irish heritage. Yeah, mm, 100%. You know. Yeah, and I'm allowed to because I'm a real Irish person. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. What is real, Jack? What is real? Mm, that's a great question. Don't you mm. fucking come after my identity, Jack. Tune in next week. Yep. <laughs> we're going to sort this out. We're going to have the, the final debate on wow. Irishness. I, I, don't, I don't know if you're being sincere, Adam Meyer. It sounds like uh, somebody who really, you know, appreciates the work of uh, Betsy Brown, per, perhaps her movie Actors. That sounds yeah. like that, that attitude. Adam, Adam my that. alcoholism that isn't your costume. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, chew on that for a bit, buddy. Well, yeah. Anyways, what are you what are you putting over, Myros? I I I have done fucking zero watching this week. I, I guess we, you know one thing that I I did watch is it's not new to me. Uh, maybe I've even put it over like a decade ago. Who the fuck knows? Uh, but I rewatched uh, the Wicker Man for my uh, yeah international horror class, and goddamn that movie. Is so good. Like it gets better every time I Nick watch. Nick Cage like, is amazing. Like yeah, there is. is <laughs> <sighs> yeah, Nick Cage. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're talking the original Wicker Man, by the way. Although the remake, again, Nick Cage is pretty amazing. Uh, you you could have some fun with that. Uh, that's one for the Irish with their six beers and whatnot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the the original film. Uh, we have been focusing on folk horror and. You'll find a lot of decent stuff, and then you watch The Worker Man, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is why this is the most famous one, because this movie is fucking like nothing else. It's just completely batshit. It's just, I don't know. It's like half fucking The Sound of Music and half terrifying horror movie, and it's uh, it's special. If you have not seen The Worker mm. Man, uh, you should do that, because it, it, it's, uh, 
It's one of the best. I don't know if we should take Adam's advice in this because he killed the director of Blood and Satan's Claw last week or the week before last because he watched yeah. it and the next day he died. So this is true. This yep. is true. Troubling. Yeah, murderer. Absolutely terrible person. Uh, well, this week, what am I going to put over? I, I don't know. I got a couple of things. I don't know if they, they're like full putovers here, but I, I watched the menu. I like the menu. Myros, you put that over. It was a good one. Kind of yeah, spurred yeah. me to, to, to watch it. It's, it's fun. Did you know that originally the script was attached to Alexander Payne, of all people? That's kind of odd. Ooh, oh, no. Too bad. You can't, you can't hire him anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think some people have, have criticized it for being a, a little obvious and a little slight, but uh, it's It it's is, fun. but have some, uh, it's still fun, right? fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. Also, the it's obvious and it's slight. It sounds like people that have never worked like a, a retail or service industry job to me. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, basically every chef I've ever talked to is the chef from the menu. Uh, they just haven't gotten <laughs> around to committing murder yet. But one day they will. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was pretty good. I, I also watched and this is the anti putover, but I, I watched one of the worst things I've ever seen. And I, and I mentioned earlier that I, I think this is off air, but. I, I kind of want to watch Sean watch Reflections of Evil. And there's certain movies where I watch and I'm like, God, this is so fucking insufferable. But there's certain people that I want to just sit down and, and watch them react to the movie. And I would love nothing more than for Adam Myros to be trapped in a scenario, maybe on an airplane, where he has to watch the new Netflix original film, You People. Have you, have you heard of this one, Myros? No, but I can tell by the title that it, was, it is something that I, I would not even register. Uh -huh. if I saw it. <laughs> well, let me let me give you the elevator pitch. Uh, you ever watch Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and you go, eh, City Portier is all right, but I wish it was Jonah Hill. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's basically uh, Jonah Hill is Jewish and he meets a, a, a black woman with a uh, like a. a Muslim father who's very like militaristic and uh hijinks ensue and wouldn't you know everybody gets along in the end and and we learn things and and racism is solved and uh it's it's honestly painful I would rather piss a kidney stone through my dick hole the size of a fucking bocce ball than watch it again unless I'm on an airplane with Adam Myros and I get to watch him just squirm while he watches it so uh, yeah, that's, that's out there. And then the other thing that I watched that was also terrible, but I got a little bit of joy from it. Uh, Netflix also has a new Shania Twain documentary. And, uh, there's a point where she's talking about one of the music videos that she shot in the mid nineties. And it was directed by none other than you ready? John Derrick. And it seems like they, th this is one of those documentaries where they, they just kind of do an overview of things. They don't really get into deep shit that you would actually care about. But there's a lot of like subtext here and, and things that they're obviously not talking about. But the general consensus seems to be that he was a colossal dick and made her feel very uncomfortable. Now, can you imagine yeah, John Derrick <laughs> making a woman uncomfortable? Is Shock wait, of the century. Is John Derrick still alive? I mean, well, he, uh, no, he was Shania in Twain 1995. Was... Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. No, I'm sorry. I thought I misheard you and I thought yeah. he was making this. This is a presentation. Doc. Okay, Aya. okay, fine. No, I got lost there for a second. I was like, wait, he's making this documentary? That's I mean, Shania Twain would, would surely <laughs> no. be far too old for John Derrick these days. That, oh, that's, no. that's actually a no, very John fair Derrick point. John Derrick made the, the music video for like 
whose bed have your boots been under or something Shania okay Twain like, yeah that's that's uh, his directing style i mean to be fair a, any man who had to postpone returning to his country to avoid statutory rape charges is probably yeah yeah and still gets it's, work it's afterwards. such a shit documentary it's classic netflix too because they're like we're not going to dig into anything uh, like, uh, I mean, Shania Twain, she, uh, she married producer Mutt Lang, who was like 30 years older than her. And then he like banged her best friend and they got a divorce. They just kind of like gloss over the whole fucking thing. And then, yeah, the whole John Derrick thing is weird because she's clearly uncomfortable talking about it. And then they just cut to Bo Derrick and she's like, yes, my husband, he can be difficult to work with. Ha 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 ha. Ah, yeah. I feel like there's a strong like Stockholm Syndrome <laughs> thing going on there, but who knows? Oh. You know, <laughs> not my business. Who's to say? Listen, if I was a 16-year-old girl and I met a disgusting, uh, lecherous man like John Derrick, I too would probably marry him, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Anyways, if you enjoyed the podcast today, do us a big favor. There's a link in the description and you can click that and that'll take you to our Patreon page and you can give us money. And, and what does that money do? Well, it pays the bills around here. You know, we got hosting costs and all kinds of things. Podcasting ain't cheap, kids. It's a, it's a fucking investment, uh, just like a Damon Packard movie. And, uh, you know, if, if you donate at any level, I'm going to send you a special gift if you live in the continental United States. You will receive a movie, a movie from my personal collection. How fun would that be for you? And then, you know, if, if you want to donate a little bit more, you get up to that $5 tier. Well, shoot, you get your name read out on the air. And Myros, who are those five and above people? Uh, yes, we have Hoofy Hoof, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Wonderful. And you do know, too, if you, if you are contributing to Optimism Vaccine, we love you. We appreciate you. I just want you to know that you can change your name on the contribution list to anything you want. Uh, so Hoofy Hoof was not always Hoofy Hoof. But if you want to change your name to Adam Myros as a dumb bitch, I would encourage you to do that. I mean, now, it, is, it could be some censorship. I mean, I'm the one reading this. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I think wow. we owe our listeners wow. that, Adam. We've got to have principles. Yeah. What would Damon yeah, we got, Packard do? We got fucking do? principles here. Yeah. Damon Packard would 100% call Adam Myros a dumb bitch or read out a list of people who called him a dumb bitch. I mean, I might Either discourage way. this entire uh, premise. I mean, I, Hoofy Hoof is bad enough for me to read every week. Uh, I'd encourage you to uh, embrace your given names, people, and uh, the fame that we can bring you. Wow. A real Catholic mindset. Anyways, uh, I would say, yeah, you know what? And if you want to donate at the highest level, you get an even bigger prize, and that is you get to dictate a whole episode. And it's not like this episode where, you know, someone really gave us a strong pitch and, and, you know, asked a few times if we would do this. And we're like, yeah, this kind of fits in. You can make us do anything. You want that hentai episode we've been kicking around? Absolutely. Especially because we can't figure out what hentai is or where to get it. Uh, and don't Google best hentai because that's not, it's not helpful. You don't get what you're looking for. Trust me, I know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, you can make us watch anything. For the low price of $25. It's amazing. It's $20, isn't it? Now, yeah. No, it's $25. Okay, Something I'm lying. Like. $25. Wait, we got a fucking sale going on? Come on. Uh, yeah, also, if you got any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us. At optimismvaccine. We'd love to hear from you. And I think that just about wraps things up. So uh, we'll be back next week. 